at it again and see something fresh and new in the scriptures as we do that. But the thought that comes to mind as we look at it is um, what amazing expectation those people had at that time in that space. What what an amazing sense of expectations they had uh, for Jesus and on Jesus. Uh, I don't know what it's like for you, but uh, when, when even, even for the worship team, right? Like when they were here, these young people, young leaders, the first couple of times they led in church, we applauded them and we were so excited for them and you guys are going to be awesome. And I think it was Abby or, or one of them that said to me afterwards, don't say that, it's going to have to be better next time. <laughs> you know, we have this sense of, of oh man, as, as good as things that the expectations, the weight can, can tend to come on us. And, and we have, you know, tremendous expectations that we place on Jesus even here and now. And, and of course, Jesus is big enough to handle all of them. And, and we talk about them all the time in church. There are things that we really want him to do in our lives. Uh, we really want him to heal us and, and touch us physically. And sometimes, you know, we see amazing miracles. We want him to comfort us uh, when, we're, when we're full of grief, and, and we hope he'll do that. Uh, we want him to teach us things uh, in terms of uh, morality and, and learning how to live in a way that's fair and good and true and right in the world. And we have a whole host of expectations around him. And depending where you're coming from, your expectations might be that he would bless you financially, that he would bless your business, that he would uh, change your circumstances, that he would deliver you from addictions, that he would uh, deliver you from from sickness. Uh, Whatever it is, we have an enormous host of expectations on Jesus. As we celebrate him, as we sing, as we as we worship him, we, we come, of course, with that hope that he's going to do those things in our lives. Don't we? And, and, and we know who he is. We know he's kind. We know he's loving. And we know he wants to do those things in our lives. And sometimes we wrestle with disappointment. Sometimes those things don't come as fast as we would like. Or sometimes when we want a miracle, he decides he's bringing comfort. And we'd rather be out of the pain rather than have him come into it with us. But whatever he does in our lives, he, he's doing it. He's doing it because he cares about us. He's doing it because uh, he's motivated by not, not just a decision to be compassionate, but by his very nature as being a God who's love. And so it's, it's that person that the people began to meet and began to know over the three years of Jesus' ministry. Uh, they had seen him heal Lazarus and raise him from the grave. They'd seen him heal Bartimaeus and and set this man who was blind, uh, free from blindness. And all of a sudden he could see. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked and lived on the earth and did phenomenal things. And it's out of that seeing what he could do that there came this excitement about who he was and this sense of his, uh, his... Uh, entry into Jerusalem being something that could be celebrated by the people because they had an expectation that more than just doing these things on the side and doing these things uh, here and there and out in the country and wherever there was a sense that he was coming to do something more something that was going to be restorative to the whole people of Israel and uh, and there's that same hope that we have as well as we dig into this story, uh, let's think a little bit about those expectations that we have for Jesus. And what I think I want us to see at the end of this is how different his perspective on our expectations are 
than ours are of him. How much more he wants to do in our lives than we've, we've even imagined. And we're going to talk about that and we're going to see that in the scriptures. Uh, so that's what we're talking about uh, this first part of this series is that, uh, that celebration of Jesus, of waving the palm branches. Uh, coming uh, next week uh, on Friday morning, we're going to do uh, the cross. Uh, and the week uh, and the Sunday after that, we'll do the empty tomb. But this morning, this is where we're focused. So let's just read together. Well, maybe we'll pray first and then read uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. Let's just pray. Lord, as we read the scriptures, we uh, know that these words are, are not just words written on a page. Uh, we acknowledge them as your words spoken to humanity. And we ask that as we read them, that they would be uh, transformative. That even just in hearing them uttered and entering our ears and entering our minds, that they would go to our heart and that they would do some work in making us more like you. We, we recognize that your word is powerful and we want that in our lives. Would you help me as a reader, as a speaker, to uh, accurately say what you want said this morning? Father, if anything I've prepared for isn't from you, I ask that you would redirect me as I speak and, and anything that you want to say that I haven't thought of, Lord, would you bring to my heart? We give this time and space to you to lead us, Lord, as we engage your word. We worship you in this. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just read from the book of Luke, chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, and, and of course that refers to what happens in the verses before, but we're going to go past that for now. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill, called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead and went and found it, just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And in other translations and in other uh, verses uh, in Matthew and Mark, it talks about the palm branches, but it's not in this particular text. Uh, they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children, within your walls. 
They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And those last two slides, usually we skip those two when we preach (laughs) on Palm Sunday, but I'll tell you why they're important. So here we are, Luke chapter 19. He says, uh, they, they were going up to Jerusalem. They were going to be there. He was walking with his disciples and a number of followers that were with him. Wherever Jesus went, he was drawing a crowd. So we don't know how many people were with him. It was at least the 12 and probably Martha and Mary and maybe another 30, 40 people. Maybe there was a throng of two or 300 people going with them. But Jesus had decided to go into Jerusalem. And everybody felt, and we don't understand why they felt it or why they they knew it was like that, but they felt a sense of pregnancy, a sense of importance, a sense that this was a big moment, and they began to just sort of uh, get a little bit excited about what is going on, and Jesus kind of whispered to them, he said, go ahead to the village, you'll find a colt there, in other translations it says a donkey, which no one has ever ridden it, untie it and bring it, and if anyone asks you why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. And so Jesus was planning to go on into the city uh, riding a donkey. Uh, what we would know from, from that time is that anybody who rode anything was, was somebody who was important. So Jesus was letting them ascribe a sense of importance to him. Uh, a king would enter into a city riding on a, on a donkey while everybody else walked around him. Uh, so he was saying and letting them say to, to, to the people that, yeah, yeah, he, he is important. He, he has something to do here. He has a mission. He is, he is somebody to be celebrated. And, and so it says, those who went, were with him uh, went and found that colt just as he told them. And as they were untying it, his owner asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it, just as he'd instructed them. The Lord needs it. And that phrase, uh, the Lord needs it, is, is really uh, the word kurios in the Greek, which means a person exercising absolute ownership rights. So imagine that you're the person who owns this, this colt. <laughs> Dude, you're stealing my car, <laughs> right? Dude, that's my horse. Like, what's going on? Why are you taking it? And, and the disciples of Jesus come up to him and just say, no, no, the person who has absolute ownership rights over this colt is taking it. Now, I don't know if that works in the Walmart parking lot for you. Uh, but for me, like, if somebody is getting in, I mean, I have, I don't have a great car. I got a 2008 Honda Pilot, and there's days I wouldn't mind, like, when it's not working well, I wouldn't mind somebody taking it out, off my hands. But, but if somebody is going to take it out of the parking lot, I, I'm going to be like, dude, back away. And if they say to me, well, the Lord needs it, <laughs> I'm like, you can't pull rank on pastor. <laughs> You know, that's mine. But, but somehow in that moment, those people knew that those words were spoken with authority. They must have known who Jesus was. And at that moment, they're like, yeah, I'm so happy to give this animal for the Lord to ride. Uh, I recognize his authority. I recognize who he is. I recognize that, that he is somebody who's going to say something and do something. Go ahead and have my Honda Pilot. Go ahead and have my, my colt. And so, so they, they gave it to him. And so they brought it to Jesus. And, and, and it's this building moment. It's this beautiful building moment. All of a sudden they're like, we're throwing our cloaks on the ground. That's another thing I'm not likely to do. You know, I, and they're throwing their cloaks on the ground so that the donkey doesn't get its feet dirty. What else does a donkey do when it's walking? Like, what are you doing, man? 
throwing your coat down so a donkey can do what donkeys do on it. Um, you know, but they're putting their cloaks on the ground. They're recognizing this as a, as a moment. And it says uh, in, in Matthew and John and also in Mark that they cut palm branches and they began waving them and began celebrating. Like it's a huge party. It's a huge party. We've talked about this when I did this sermon years before, but just imagine that in Carlton Place, right? Like, like Justin Trudeau's coming to town and we're all like, ooh, like getting the palm branches. Not this crowd. This is a pretty conservative bunch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to stay out of politics. <laughs> Kathleen Wynn? <laughs> oh, conservative bunch. We've got to watch ourselves around here. I want you to know I'm making no political statements whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> imagine somebody coming, though, that, that everybody's so excited about. Everybody's so excited about, and they're waving their palm branches. And, and it says this. It says... Um, it says, blessed, oh, let's, let's, sorry, let's go ahead. Um, it says, when they, when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole uh, crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles that they'd seen. So again, they're remembering what Jesus had done. They're remembering the resurrection of Lazarus. They're remembering the people that were healed, the people that were set free from demonization. They're remembering that the Lord has done something physical and tangible in the world. He's demonstrated not only his love, but he's demonstrated his power. And they say this, they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And isn't that just an echo of Luke chapter 2 uh, when the angels came to visit the shepherds? Right? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts, this is Luke 2.14, appeared with angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And Luke just echoes his earlier writing in chapter 2 as he tells the story. It says this, as people were getting excited, as people were, were, were celebrating Jesus, he's not even to the city yet. Uh, it says some of the Pharisees in the crowd uh, said to Jesus, they must have just pushed through the people and stepped on the cloaks and came up to the donkey. And they, they came up to him and said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What they're, they're saying, what they're saying about you is too big. And he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And here is where we see just the shade of the beginning of a different understanding that Jesus has about what's going on than what everybody else has. Uh, that phrase, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out, is Jesus quoting the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. And this is how Habakkuk, chapter 2, reads. Verse 11. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples. Remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees, shaming your own house and foretelling your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. And all around this atmosphere where people are crying out to Jesus and saying, this is the king that is going to come and deliver us from Rome and set us free from the oppressor and bring justice in our land. And the Pharisees are coming to him in that moment. What he's really doing is he's, he's speaking to the people and he's speaking to himself and he's speaking to the Pharisees and saying, 
wait a second, the people don't quite have it right here. They are acclaiming me and asking me to come and deliver them. But what they're really doing is speaking against you. More than they really know me, more than they really want me, more than they really get who I am and what I'm about to do. Because he knew he was about to be crucified by those same people. And he knew that the resurrection was coming. He knew that there was more to this story than a king coming into the city and taking up rulership and kicking out the power of Rome. He knew that those people, more than they wanted who he really was or understood who he really was, that they wanted rid of the religious system and that they wanted rid of Rome. And that there's a real difference there between wanting Jesus and who he really is and just wanting the stuff of freedom in life. And Jesus just begins to speak that into the story. And we're going to see it just unfold in his understanding, his perspective on the events that are different from ours. And it says this, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, Even if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And so in this moment of celebration and people taking off their clothes, inviting him into the city and waving palm branches and crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and celebrating Jesus, we would expect that he would say, wow, they finally got it. They figured out who I am. They figured out who, that I'm the king. They figured out that I'm good. They've got it. And Jesus would be feeling a sense of relief and a sense of joy. That's what we should expect. And that's what we expect when we think about Palm Sunday. Uh, for us, this moment of celebration and Jesus does a very strange thing and he begins to weep. He begins to weep. He weeps over his city and says, if only you had known. If only you had known what this day means. If only you'd known. And he goes on and, and, and to say this, this crazy thing. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children, within your walls. He's not saying a cheerful thing that a king says when he's entering victoriously into a city. Hey, here I come. By the way, your children are going to be dashed, and the enemy is going to take out your walls and bust your city down. All of a sudden, his disciples are starting to think, whoa, wait a second, this does not sound right. Is, is this what we signed up for? What's going on here? What are you saying, Jesus? And that party atmosphere begins to dissolve just a little bit, doesn't it? If you're hearing Jesus say that to you while you're waving the palm branches. <laughs> Hold on a second. What's going on here in this moment? They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And here's where we see it in the text. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord was the thing that they proclaimed about Jesus. Blessed is this ruler who's going to come and kick out Rome, who's going to change our circumstances, who's going to make our life better, who's going to fix everything, who's going to bless us, who's going to make uh, the fruit grow better in the land, who's going to make our businesses better, who's going to bring all of this strength to us and, and make it a safe and wonderful place for us. And, and we know that's all in Jesus' heart. But blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord is fundamentally an inaccuracy. 
more than an inaccuracy. It's a terrible mistake. Jesus wasn't the human king who came in the name of the Lord. He was the Lord. He was the Lord. He was God, very God, who spoke the world into existence, who made them, who made the very stones about which they were speaking. For them to see him as merely a king who was coming to change their circumstances was to greatly shortchange short him and miss the whole point of what he was about to do. As beautiful as that moment was, where we see the waving of the palm branch, branches and the celebration, that was really just the crowd flirting with Jesus. It was just the crowd flirting with him. And don't we do that sometimes? Oh, Jesus, you're so awesome. You're so great. We, we love what you're doing for us. And he is, he is awesome and he is great and he is doing amazing things for us. Uh, we love to be in his presence. We love to see how good he is. We love to celebrate all of that. But Jesus didn't just come to deliver you. He didn't just come to make you happier or to make you feel more secure. He didn't just come to lead us to build a God-centered just society. He didn't come to teach us moral truth. That's all good and that's all right. But it's just the overture. He came for something much, much more. He came for a wedding. We're looking for him to do things for us to make us feel better. And we're celebrating that and we're enjoying that. That's good, but that's not where he came for. He came for something infinitely deeper, infinitely richer, something that lasts forever something that speaks of a level of commitment that he has to us and we must have to him that goes beyond what we can imagine. It is a choice to live with him, to be vulnerable with him, and to let him lead us and to let him be our Lord. that is so much more than what we imagine as we flirt with just the goodness of God. He wants the world to be a better place, but more than that, he wants you. He wants you. He wants you. We think of this phrase in the book of John. We return to it time and time again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. But receive eternal life. 
that marriage that he longs for with you is not circumstantial. It is not just about this life. It is not just about the surface. It's about a relationship with trust that goes to the deepest part of our being. So as we wave the palm branch, he wears the crown. As we wave the palm branches, he's preparing to wear a crown of thorns. To seal the deal in relationship with you. Now, so many of us are in this place. Uh, even, even here, uh, as I look out, so many of us are in this place where uh, we've been coming to church for a long time. We've been uh, people of faith for a long time. We might have invited Jesus into our hearts. We might have uh, accepted Christianity as an ideology. We might have accepted it as an idea or as a thought or as a worldview. But we haven't accepted it as a relationship with someone who, who absolutely means to transform you, who absolutely means to change you, who absolutely means to make you somebody new, not just from the outside in, but from the inside out. And that's the invitation for us in the middle of the celebration. Will you let him go deep in your life? Will you let him be your spouse? Will you let him adopt you? Will you stop flirting with him and flirting with his goodness and flirting with the good things he can do for you which are manifold and awesome? But will you let him into the deepest part of you this morning? Let's stand up. Holy Spirit, I ask you would come. You've been speaking to us through your word. We've celebrated you. We, we love the things that you can do for us. But Father, I ask that you would speak this morning uh, to those of us who have feared intimacy with you. you speak to those of us who have misunderstood who you really are? Would you pour out your love in this place in a way that breaks through those barriers that we've put up? We know that you do so many good things in our lives. but we invite you to go deeper. For those of us that need this morning to make a decision to let you in, would you knock on the doors of our hearts? that everyone here would know what you really came for. 
you came to take away our sin. you do business with us this morning, Lord? Every area where we've held you at bay, would you break through? you invite us into this relationship that brings true joy that goes far beyond our circumstances would you come and dwell in us be king not only of the world but king of our hearts